Hello, and welcome to the session on Cellular Agriculture, Future-Proofing Our Food Systems for Humans, Animals, and Our Planet with Bianca Lee. I'm Melinda Wang, and I'll be your MC for this session. We'll be starting with a pre-recorded talk by Bianca, and then we'll transition to a live Q&A session where she'll answer some and hopefully most of your questions. Now I'd like to introduce you to our speaker, Bianca Lee. Bianca is a cell biologist and the director of Cellular Agriculture Australia, a nonprofit dedicated to promoting and accelerating R&D in the cellular agriculture industry. She completed her PhD at Monash University and is now utilizing her ex expertise in cell biology to help develop food more sustainably. Cellular agriculture can provide healthier sources of protein to a growing population without sacrificing our planet by harnessing modern technology to farm meat, eggs, and dairy directly from cells, not animals. And here's Bianca. Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Bianca Lee and I'm a cell biologist and the director of a nonprofit called Cellular Agriculture Australia. Today, I am very excited to be introducing you all to this relatively new field of research and emerging industry called cellular agriculture. Humanity is currently faced with four major challenges. Firstly, climate change and this reduction in biodiversity. We're currently experiencing Earth's sixth mass extinction event right now. And this combination of extreme weather patterns and a fragile ecosystem is greatly affecting so many facets of our modern society, particularly our food systems. And food insecurity is a growing problem that is disproportionately affecting regions and communities around the world that are heavily dependent on local farming. Thirdly, this rise in antibiotic usage has led to an increase in antimicrobial resistance. And according to the WHO, this is one of the biggest contributors of declining public health across all countries and all ages. And finally, this last challenge needs no introduction. It is why I'm talking to you all via a video call rather than in person. Zoonotic diseases are becoming increasingly common in our lifetime and have, as we all know, devastating and far-reaching impacts. On top of all of this, the United Nations has predicted that our global population will reach 9.7 billion people by 2050. That's 2 billion more people on our planet within 30 years. And that will, of course, exacerbate those four major challenges even further. So how can we as individuals effectively use our limited resources like time, money and career capital to address all four of those cause areas? Well, they all have one common denominator, and that is industrialized animal agriculture. We have developed really efficient ways of producing as much meat and dairy as possible from as many animals as possible using all of the land and antibiotics available to us. A result of this is we're now getting cheaper and higher quality protein available to an increasing percentage of our population. That of course comes at a price and we are now paying that. And I know I said animal agriculture is really efficient, but unfortunately it's just not efficient enough, particularly for our growing population. If you look at the feed to animal to human conversion ratios, you'll notice that an animal's body is actually really poorly designed for food production. If you take a chicken, for example, for every eight 
energy calories of feed we provide that chicken, we're only receiving a single food calorie. That's a 13% conversion rate. And cows are even more inefficient. It takes 33 calories of feed to produce a single food calorie for us to eat. And that is because cows aren't machines built to produce muscle mass purely for us to eat. They are living, breathing animals that require calories themselves just to stay alive and do things like walking and thinking and pumping blood around their bodies. That's where those extra 32 uh, calories are going. And so that 3% conversion rate is just so inefficiently built. If you look at land usage, uh, it's also a very inefficient system. So if you look at Earth's surface, only 21% of that surface is habitable land. The rest is water and ice. Half of that habitable land is dedicated to agriculture, which always blows my mind because that is 50 times more land dedicated to food compared to land dedicated to urban areas. And 77% of that land is dedicated to livestock, despite the fact that that only provides a third of our protein supply. In contrast, a quarter of our agricultural land is dedicated to crops, which provide two thirds of our uh, protein supply. So if our global population is expected to grow by nearly 2 billion people over the next 30 years, how are we expected to feed everyone without sacrificing our planet? We all know the answer to this. Switch to a vegan or vegetarian diet. And for the past 50 years or so, we have, you know, scientists, environmentalists and animal rights advocates that have been begging the public to eat less meat for the sake of our planet. And of course, there's a lot of work being done, particularly in the effective altruism community, to ensure that people are being educated about the effects of animal agriculture on our environment and animal welfare. But behaviour change is really hard. And despite the fact that there are so many studies and so much evidence to suggest that animal agriculture is detrimental to human health and uh, environmental sustainability, more and more people are now eating meat, particularly in countries where uh, GDP is growing. Humans want to eat tasty food, but no one wants to feel bad doing it. So of course we can encourage people to eat fewer animal products, but we have to be honest with ourselves and admit that most of the global population wants to eat more, not fewer animal products. So if we can't drastically reduce demand, we need to rethink the supply. We now need to turn our attention to less damaging food production methods. Fortunately, the agriculture industry is really good at innovation. And technological innovation is the driving force for improving both human welfare and animal welfare. Farmers are constantly adapting to our changing world to ensure that more people are getting healthier food for cheaper. So we've gone from horse-drawn plow to tractor, from physically mapping out and assessing land to using drones and uh, automated software to manage land and from uh, manually assessing pests and diagnosing them to using our phones and uh, image recognition. So the good news is animal agriculture technology and food science will once again innovate to help solve these 
four massive challenges uh, that our generation is currently facing. Food scientists are currently developing a sustainable, ethical and safe way to produce meat. So instead of saying, uh, instead of raising uh, an entire chicken just so we can eat the breast or the thigh, we can grow those parts directly from an animal's cells. This process is called cellular agriculture, and it's predicted to use less land, water and energy resources compared to conventional animal agriculture. And no animals die in this process. Before I get into how cellular agriculture works, I'll quickly explain what cellular agriculture isn't. It is not plant-based meat or mock meat, uh, which is typically made from plants like soy or corn. Um, and you may be familiar with brands like Beyond Beef or Impossible Burger. Here in Australia, we have V2 Foods, which was developed by CSIRO. Um, Cellular agriculture products like cultivated meat is real meat. So it has the exact same, you know, chemical composition and molecular structure as you would find in the meat that we have on supermarket shelves today. So what exactly is meat? Well, I'll use beef steak as an example here, but this applies to any other animal. So pork, chicken, seafood, any animal you can think of. Meat is made up of millions of cells, and the three predominant cell types found in meat are skeletal myocytes. And this provides the majority of the protein content in meat. We've got actin and myosin proteins, which help the muscles contract, and we've got myoglobin, which uh, gives meat its red color. We've got fibroblasts, which are these tiny cells that lie on the periphery of the myocytes and these produce the structural proteins in which the cells can adhere to so kind of like a scaffold and those proteins are collagen proteoglycans as well as elastin and thirdly we have adipocytes now these cells produce uh, saturated and unsaturated fats and lipids so from a food perspective, the composition of these cells determine the nutritional profile, the flavors, the textures, and the color of meat. So how do we normally grow these cells for food? Well, today we are currently growing them inside animals' bodies. So we start off with a stem cell. We then provide those stem cells with molecules called growth factors, which circulate your body, and we have proliferating uh, inducing growth factors, which tell those stem cells to multiply and increase in number. We then have differentiation inducing growth factors, which then tell those stem cells, which are initially blank cells, to become a final functioning cell type. So in a muscle, in a muscle tissue, we have those three cell types, the skeletal myocytes, the fibroblasts and the adipocytes. This process has been uh, well established and well studied in uh, the regenerative medicine field of research, um, particularly for the development of artificial organs. But what's stopping us from using this exact same process for food? Well, nothing. We can use this same process, take it outside of the animal's body and develop all these cell types for human consumption. So the way cellular agriculture works is that we take a painless biopsy from an animal of our choice. So it's usually the size of an almond. Uh, and then that cell, that uh, biopsy or sample will contain all those cell types I talked about before. 
We can feed those cells the same type of growth factors that I mentioned in a liquid solution called growth media. So you can think of that as like a Gatorade or a cocktail full of nutrients, uh, carbohydrates, amino acids, and growth factors to help those cells proliferate and then differentiate. We place these cells in large bioreactors. So kind of like the large uh, vats or tanks that you see at breweries to produce beer. We can do the exact same thing, develop food-grade facilities to produce meat sustainably and ethically. This process is predicted to take up less land and it is it can be completely powered used, uh, using renewable energy. And it requires fewer raw materials because we're feeding the cells directly, not an entire animal. And this uh, process might sound quite novel, maybe even a little bit sci-fi or futuristic, but we've actually been using this process um, in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, we often use uh, insulin production as an example to treat uh, diabetic patients. So back then we used to harvest you know, thousands of pancreatic glands from cows and pigs uh, to produce uh, animal insulin. That, however, is, you know, a really inefficient system and it requires uh, mass suffering of um, sentient animals. And actually, it's not that great for um, medical use because uh, animal insulin is just not as biocompatible for humans as human insulin is. So now we've developed what's called recombinant gene uh, technology. So we can take a cell, so a yeast cell or a bacteria cell, insert a human gene inside that yeast cell, and then turn that cell into essentially a really efficient uh, microfactory that can produce all those human insulin uh, proteins. Again, this process is exactly what we'd find in uh, the cellular agricultural um, process for food production. And over the past uh, five years or so, there's been a huge surge in um, companies around the world popping up to produce meat this way. And we are no longer at the stage where we are looking at meat in Petri dishes. I'm talking sashimi-grade salmon, uh, chicken with the uh, beautiful um, grain and mouthfeel that you get from muscle fibre that is really hard to replicate with plant-based meats, uh, meatballs, uh, shrimp dumplings. Uh, there is a company um, in Sydney in Australia called Val that is currently working with one of Australia's best chefs, Neil Perry, to develop uh, beautiful fine dining experiences with cultivated meat. But it doesn't just stop at meat. We can also use this technology to develop uh, egg proteins, fats and, uh, you know, omega-3 fatty acids, uh, milk proteins and lipids. We can even use this technology to develop human breast milk for uh, babies whose mothers can't uh, produce milk. There are even companies around the world producing pet food and leather. And while there is currently a lot of investment and growth in the industry, uh, and the field is accelerating at an incredible rate, there are still many challenges that need to be solved before we uh, can get these products to market. We still need to optimize immortalized cell lines from different animal species, i.e. creating cells that don't stop dividing so that we don't have to keep taking biopsies from the animals. We also need to develop that uh, 
uh, growth medium that I mentioned before. It is currently the uh, main cost driver at the moment. So developing a cost-effective growth media that doesn't contain animal serum, which is normally taken from uh, cow fetuses, um, that will be uh, that will allow us to reach price parity to uh, conventional meat that we currently have today. We also need to develop 3D scaffolds or even develop 3D printing techniques that can recreate that uh, texture of those high-end complex structured meats, kind of like the um, intricate fat marbling you see on Wagyu steaks or Kobe steaks. And finally, we need to develop automated bioreactors so we can scale the production of cultivated meat and other cell-ag products um, for, for the scale of food production. And so while none of these food products are available on the market yet, we do know the inherent positive impacts of this technology. What we don't yet know is the extent of these impacts, because that will be determined by the commercial success of the product and the percentage of animal-based foods that these products will displace. We do know it will reduce the number of animals suffering, since no animals need to be sacrificed in this process. It will also reduce the risk of future zoonotic diseases. Because the only time the animal is involved in the cellular agriculture process, that human to animal interface is greatly reduced. And because this process is inherently much more efficient than agriculture, since again, we're feeding the cells directly, not feeding an entire animal, it will greatly reduce the amount of land required to produce food compared to conventional animal agriculture. There are other potential positive impacts of cellular agriculture. However, these will all depend on how well these manufacturing processes are designed and engineered. Compared to conventional animal agriculture, cellular agriculture could produce fewer greenhouse gas emissions. It could also require less land and energy to produce the same amount of food. There are currently only a handful of um, what's called life cycle assessment studies that have estimated the amount of raw materials and resource inputs, as well as the waste generation of developing cultivated meat. But all of them are based on assumptions on what that final food production process will look like. And of course, that will vary depending on the species and the cell type. Finally, depending on the cellular composition of these food products and therefore the nutritional profile of cultivated meat, we could also see a reduction in diseases uh, that are linked to excessive red meat consumption, such as type 2 diabetes, bowel cancer and cardiovascular disease. So again, the extent of this uh, positive environmental and health impacts of cellular agriculture is completely dependent on how well we design and engineer the technology. If you're interested in learning more, you can head to our website at www.celluloragricultureaustralia.org for educational resources, the latest news and events, as well as networking opportunities. Since this is uh, both an emerging field and a multidisciplinary industry, now is actually a really good time to get involved, no matter your background or area of interest. So thank you for listening. I hope to uh, see you all soon in person and please don't hesitate to reach out to me if you have any questions. Okay, Bianca, thank you so much for that very comprehensive talk. 
Um, given that we don't have a lot of time for this Q&A session, we're just going to delve right through the questions and try to get things through really quickly. Um, so the first question is, given this will massively disrupt farming and meat industry and an existential threat to their livelihoods, how are cellular agriculture companies working with these industries and vested interests? To avoid pushback and help them embrace what you're doing and push for progress, are cellular agriculture companies offering early stage investment opportunities to farmers, for example? Yeah, thanks, Melinda. That's a really good question. And I'm really glad people are um, thinking about these things because this is um, this industry will affect a lot of other sectors. Um, firstly, I think it's worth recognising that farming and agriculture has been core to every culture around the world for thousands of years and it will continue to be. Cellular agriculture isn't a replacement for that. It is an addition to the agriculture sector and the food industry. And, you know, I can't speak on behalf of farmers because I'm not one, but generally speaking, those in the meat industry are keen to see our food systems diversify. Big meat companies around the world want to keep up with market demands. And as everyone knows, the, our, our generation is currently seeking for products that are more sustainable and more healthy. And cellular agriculture is one way that our meat industries can future-proof their, their businesses and provide more alternatives to customers. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a really good um, point. And here in Australia, we have another nonprofit called uh, Food Frontier, and they are doing amazing work trying to um, collaborate with farmers um, in this space. Great. So I guess that is a segue to that. In the spirit of an enhancement instead of a replacement, um, James asked a really interesting question um, about um, will people eat this food? Like, won't there be a pushback because it is not natural, analogous to the opposition to GMO food or use of artificial chemicals? Right. Yeah. So, um, again, a very good question. Uh, as a scientist, I see cultivated meat as natural because we're using the cell's natural biological processes to grow and produce meat. All, it, all we're changing is that it's happening outside of the animal's body. And if you actually look at a lot of food that we eat nowadays, um, they're not unnatural in some way. I'm not talking about just like processed foods like uh, Doritos or beer. Um, there's a lot of human engineering behind everything we eat. Um, and this is just another way of, you know, improving and innovating a process that naturally occurs. Thank you. Um, and, uh, let's see, the next question, um, is interesting direction you're proposing, but doesn't this push meat consumption more? There's already growing scientific body that mentions long-term health risks is eat in eating too much meat and how can you reconcile that? Yeah. So, um, the beauty of this technology is that we have so much flexibility in how we, um, develop the final product because there's so much control over every single aspect of the production process. So we could actually make red meat more healthy. We can, uh, remove some of the saturated fats that add a lot of flavor and taste, um, to meat and actually incorporate healthier fats like, um, omega-3 fatty acids that you'd normally find in fish. Uh, we can even incorporate um, plant-based materials like cellulose to create that um, 3D structure so that we're now incorporating dietary fiber in our, um, in our protein. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that companies are thinking about. How can we ensure that this product is healthy as well as tasty? 
Great. So unfortunately, I would have to cut this session short. <laughs> We're already at our, um, at our time. So thank you so much um, for everything, Bianca, um, your inspiring talk. And um, there, there must be a lot of curiosity and um, quite honestly, skepticism around this topic. So, you know, for the audience, if you're curious, um, Bianca can provide you with more links, perhaps to read more about this. And, um, and you can also try to contact her directly on this WAPCARD platform. Great. Thanks, Melinda. Yeah, we have a website. It's www.celluleragricultureaustralia.org. Um, feel free to get in touch with us. We've got an email there and subscribe to our newsletter because we'll be um, uh, having lots of updates over the next few months about what's happening in the field. Thank you.